earlier in the year, Talking Health Tech was a supporting partner at the fourth annual Aged Care Tech Summit 2022 in Sydney. During the event, we were doing our thing, catching up with speakers after their sessions and recording quick conversations, which you're going to hear in a minute in this very episode. The topics and themes that were discussed over the two days were broad and included the importance of quality and safety, the impact of the Royal Commission, funding in aged care, how facilities are dealing with staff shortages and other challenges, interoperability of disparate systems, the importance of allied health in the aged care setting, and what home care and aged care looks like in a post-COVID world, and a lot more too. So this episode is actually a really good one to get across all those key themes in aged care right now, and what role technology plays to assist. For more information about future events, including the Aged Care Week in June of 2023, then check out agecareweek.com.au and keep an eye on the Talking Health Tech website as well because there'll be more events and links associated with aged care coming up in the future, I'm sure. So subscribe to the newsletter, talkinghealthtech.com slash newsletter to keep across it all. But right now, here's our feature of the fourth annual Aged Care Tech Summit 2022. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. My name is um, Mary Carpenter. I'm the Director for Governance, Risk and Quality for Uniting New South Wales and ACT. And what brings you to the event today? I did a presentation on developing governance systems for compliance. And I also was part of the panel on unintended consequences of compliance. Got you. It's a really important topic in healthcare, no doubt, but also in aged care, which is the focus here. Are there many nuances and differences that you see when it comes to compliance and governance in that space? Yeah, I think one of the themes that we are seeing across is that the burgeoning or increasing burgeoning of compliance and and requirements that our services have to meet just to be able to comply. And that really has the unintended consequence of pulling our people out of front line in providing care. And that really is further challenged by not being able to attract a lot of nurses on the floor as well. So with all of those requirements, not being able to complete or fill our rosters, something's got to give. And we always want to prioritise providing care. Because by the end of the day, that is really what matters. Compliance, it's something that we can challenge on an ongoing basis, but with the care, it's hard to challenge. Was that some of the key points out of the the session that you gave today, being that care is always the priority and compliance works around it? Yeah, I think so. And I think the fact that as an organisation or as an industry, we all need to advocate for what really matters when we provide care. Do we want to sit back and allow compliance to take over the, the way we provide care or should it be the other way around? I've got yeah. a feeling it's the other way around. Yeah, I know. But I think our people don't feel brave enough yeah. to stand up for themselves and say, we provide good care. It may not be written down, but this is the evidence and I want to have a conversation about that. And is there any advice or recommendations for those that might be on the front line that find there might be opportunities to provide greater care, but those compliance rules and regulations or all the frameworks don't allow them to be able to provide that quality of care? How do you how do you deal with that in that situation? It's a hard one because it's really challenging to be able to prove that good care has been provided, especially with the growing older people um, in residential aged care facilities, especially after COVID. We are seeing a lot of clinical indicators that's going backwards because of that length number or days and weeks of being isolated and being able to go about with their day. So it's really challenging. What can they do? It's really to showcase and have that resident and family members to advocate that they get good care. Because as a commission assessor, they're always going to be cynical when it's just coming from the staff on the floor. They want to be able to speak to other people as well. And I think one of the the things that can support you or advocate for you that you provide good care are the family members.
Hi, I'm Lee Martin from Tanunda Luther and Home, South Australia. Great to have you here. What brings you to this fine event today, sir? Technology and aged care is changing so quickly. Tanunda Luther and Home is a bit of uh, at the forefront of technology. We actually are implementing three robots to assist our staff in uh, providing back-of-house services. Mm. Do you find that having those robots assisting in back-of-house services, being behind the scenes doing the administrative tasks, is that kind of the core function where technology can really make a difference in some of these settings? I firmly believe that because of the shortage of staff and workforce, Tanunda Luther and Home, for example, is working minimal 15% less of staff because we just can't find them. So it beholds us to look at other ways of doing things and looking after our residents. And I believe that technology, through the use of robots, is in actual fact the way forward. There is so much technology being added into how beds work, how manual handling can be done easily by one person rather than two. There there are issues with more and more residents coming into aged care who are obese, and I mean morbidly obese. We are now seeing residents coming into aged care who weigh over 130 to 140 kilograms. We don't have beds that carry that. The maximum our beds will carry is to 130 kilograms. A lot of our lifting machines uh, may lift up to 180, but you need three staff. You can't afford three staff. So that, that to me, is where technology is, is going. I hear from a lot of vendors or people that want to apply some innovative technologies to whether it's healthcare or age or care kind of settings. What's your advice to those that want to help but are not sure the best way to apply some of these innovative solutions? First thing is be game enough and strong enough to apply for grants. The implementation of three robots at Tanundalooza and Home is at the grace of uh, the federal government's business improvement fund where they have given me enough money to cover the whole cost of the robots, which was just under $900,000. Okay. So the business improvement fund is there to encourage aged care organisations to be more effective by introducing technology in any way, shape or form to bring out the improvement in residential care, administration, financial viability, uh, IT savvy, all those sorts of things. I'd love to know how those working within the setting have responded to more technology being injected into some of these workflows. Has it been receptive because it's it's lightened some of the burden or has it been confronting in terms of trying to adopt some new technologies? The presentation that I'm about to give after lunch at, at the technology conference, I'm actually the devil's advocate. I'm actually against technology at the moment. And the reason being is there's so much technology. It changes so quickly. Not a day goes past. And I know we're at a technology aged care conference, but just have a look at the amount of software that really peddles almost the same stuff. It's very expensive. I'm not a technology whiz kid, and yet I'm the decision maker. And it's like going to the biggest smorgasbord you've ever seen of all your favourite food and trying to work out, well, which is actually the best one at a reasonable cost that isn't going to put weight on or cause a bigger issue. Yeah. Because that's what's happening. Yeah. There is just so much out there that really a lot of people just say, I'll stick with what I've got until someone tells me I have to have it. And then it, that, that's when the yeah. proverbial hits the fan. Yeah, that sums it up nicely, and that's great. Any other final thoughts or comments you wanted to add? Look, I, I, I think it's, it's embrace the technology, learn from other people's mistakes, and be game. Go, go, for the, go for the maximum amount you can get 
in grants from government or whomever. Go for it. Hi, my name is Marissa Sandler and I'm from Care Seekers. Marissa, what brings you to this event today? So I was a speaker yesterday. Actually, I ran a workshop and the workshop was all about embedding quality and safety into your organisational culture. And why is this an important topic for you? Well, it's a very important topic for the aged care sector, Mm. always quality and safety. But as you can imagine, with all the reforms coming in, it's really critical with all the findings of the Royal Commission. It's just absolutely at the forefront of everybody's mind. Then there can often be things that you need to change. And you're dealing with organisations that have been through a lot of change recently Mm. that can be quite change fatigued. Yes. And how do you embed that quality and safety into your organisation and bring on board your organisation to make the changes they need to? You mentioned it was a workshop or the the sessions that you've been, been running... Who are they geared towards? Is, is this a conversation to have with the front line? Is it more a topic that's relevant at, at the C-suite or is it everyone and in between? Great question. For the topic that I was doing, it absolutely was C-suite. And it was very much about what is leadership's role in mm. implementing that organisational change. And a lot of the conversation we were having was around how leadership sets the tone, leadership yes is critical to culture and so everybody in the room were predominantly in leadership roles in their organizations or critical to organizational culture. Mm. Were there any key findings or um, insights that came out of the sessions that you took away? I think probably the thing about leaders setting the tone was really interesting. We spoke a lot about what is your North Star and Mm. coming back all the time to that North Star of what you're trying to achieve because often you can find yourself in the nitty gritty of a problem or an issue or a process and it can be really hard to bring people on board if there's not that understanding of why are we doing this, where are we headed big picture. So that was a lot what we were talking about, setting that big picture North Star and often it already exists exists in your organisation, but it's finding it, be it in the values, in the mission, where do we talk about, for example, quality and safety at that very high level that we can pin these things back to. That's a really good point and it's something that a lot of people could take away. I think it's understanding what you do well already, even if it's in little pockets and then really trying to elevate that and and broaden that out to other parts of the organisation too. Exactly. So once you've established your North Star, the next step is to identify gaps. Mm. But the first thing to do is to go, what do we do well? Yeah. Like, what are we doing well? Because that's a great place to start. Firstly, it just <laughs> makes you feel better about the whole process. You're not like, okay, we need to invent something Everything. that's not there. But secondly, you probably are doing some good things that just need to be built on, which is a much more manageable task than rewriting your whole organisation. Lauren Hockley from CareSeekers. And Lauren, tell me a bit more about CareSeekers and what you do. Sure. CareSeekers is an online platform that allows um, individuals, families and organisations to connect to independent aged care workers and disability support workers. Got it. And what brings you to this event today? I was talking at the Tech Summit about integrating lean principles into your business to manage technology builds on a tight budget. Got you. And so is that technology builds, so that was that geared towards the aged care providers or to, to vendors creating the solutions for them? Uh, no, I think it was aged care providers. So I yeah. think I was talking to people who were in their organisations and looking to understand about how to bring technology products or big mm. transformations in yeah. into their organisation. So is this all around the, the change management piece, that execution and implementation of technology in their... Yeah, I think it might speak to that. I guess I was more speaking about our experience of building a tech platform on a on a budget with mm. res- limited resources, and I just explained the journey that we've been on, um, going from procuring a website to creating a lean startup team to partnering with a technology partner, and then also like creating our own CRM as well. Cool, very cool. And so have you got any advice or or insights that came out of that session for those that might be looking to implement something or build something on a budget or with a a lean mentality um, as you've done? I think some of my tips and tricks were to like always 
produce an MVP, mm. iterate constantly, get loads of user feedback, don't wait till it's perfect to put it out there in the market and just constantly be, you know, like changing and reacting to what the government and regulations and the sector is throwing at us. My name is Sunil Bar. I'm from Swinburne University. And what brings you to this event today? Well, I'm a professor of clinical psychology. I'm an academic, but we also have a clinic where we try to bring telehealth counselling services to aged care residents. Oh, specifically for aged care residents? It's specifically, yeah. Ah, tell me about that. So it's called the Swinburne Wellbeing Clinic for Older Adults. We've been operating for about 11, 12 years. Initially, we used to send our graduate students out to aged care facilities to provide counselling. Very little counselling services in residential aged care. Mostly residential aged care is about instrumental care and looking after medical health, leisure health, spiritual health, but mental health, very poorly serviced. And so we we sent our students out to nursing homes to provide counselling. But then when COVID hit, we couldn't do that, right? Doors were locked to us. So we switched our services, like many other organizations, to telehealth. And we were quite surprised. Uh, we managed to we managed to provide thousands of sessions over the last two years or so using the phone, using video chat, all the platforms out, out there. And we were quite surprised. Uh, aged care residents can operate via the computer. And it's not, not just turning it on, but, but in terms of the, the effectiveness of those conversations, were they, were they just as effective? Yeah, quite surprisingly so. So we've done some research around that. Firstly, we found that it's feasible. In other words, people do tend to turn up to their sessions. We found that it's highly satisfactory. People like it. It's a way of speaking to somebody outside of the facility that's not a care staff or family. And, and thirdly, it does lead to reductions in depression, loneliness, anxiety, and on average, people receive about eight sessions of counselling, and that tends to bring about significant changes in mental health, quite surprisingly so. Yeah, and so you're at this event today, are you speaking about some of those findings in, in those sessions? Yeah, exactly that. So yeah. we're, we're talk, I'm talking about telehealth counselling within residential aged care, some of the challenges, some of the surprises, some of the opportunities. And I think telehealth is here to stay. Now that it's entered into the healthcare delivery model in all sorts of ways, in a very, very real way, I don't think it's ever going to go away because it it transcends all of those barriers that we've commonly talked about, such as geography, travel, inadequate mental health staffing. Telehealth is a way of of bringing mental health in a very easy way to residential care facilities. I'm going to assume that it removes one of those barriers as well, an additional barrier, particularly in in an aged care setting, which is even if it's not geographically a long distance from where the person is to where the consult might need to take place if it was in a clinic. But, but just physically getting to that location sometimes could be a challenge, I would imagine. So being able to do that via telehealth would be an added benefit. That's the big problem. Even when a resident is identified as needing help, it's about trying to A, find the mental health practitioner who would be able to address that resident and B, getting the resident to that practitioner. Because very few practitioners in the mental health field do out-of-office care. Yeah. So yeah. very few counsellors, psychologists, social workers, etc., would leave their office and travel into a nursing home. So often the resident has to be the one who's traveling. Yes. And so then lastly, then think about the future. You know, as you say, telehealth is here to stay. But what does that look like in terms of what you're doing at Swinburne and what maybe you also hope for this, this broader space of mental health and telehealth, particularly in an aged care setting? I think we've got to do two, two things to bring it in a more accessible way. Number one, we've got to ramp up our training. We're one of the only universities who are currently training mental health professionals to be specializing in aged care. <laughs> Most of the other universities don't go anywhere near it. The second thing is we've got to try and work with the technology to make it easier for people who are frail, for people who are living with dementia, for people who are living with chronic illnesses to use the technology. Because currently, if you have difficulty with technology, you're hugely reliant on aged care staff to help set up the call. And as we know, there's so many problems with aged care staff having the time and the availability. But if we can make the technology easier to use, Mm. I think this is going to lift off. Jason Dixon from Boomi Australia. Thanks, Jason. Tell us about Boomi. What does it do? So Boomi is an integration platform. We work across all different verticals, including aged care. But really what we do is we help customers to connect their disparate data sources and data silos, get their data moving, 
help them to actually build and model out their, their data, provide good data quality, data governance, data enrichment services. And then we help them to essentially share that data with other agencies, government departments, suppliers, partners, customers through secure means and the use of more modern web services and, and, and APIs and that type of thing. I don't know what you're doing in aged care though. I don't know where you'd find any disparate data in aged care these days. No, no. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that couldn't couldn't be less true. Uh, you know, and and, and I think that's, uh, you know, part of the reason why we're here and why we have a, a real focus on, on aged care. We certainly see in the conversations we have with aged care providers that they are massively hampered mm. by legacy technology, legacy applications, lack of extensibility and interoperability and, and you know, just sharing a data throughout their organisation. Everything's just siloed. Now, that uh, obviously doesn't bode well and doesn't really help organisations to provide and, and design, you know, better policies, better healthcare services, and become more of a client-centric provider of care services. So we really focus on that and focus on helping them to unlock those silos, get the most and maximum use out of their data, and all of that feeds into a better customer experience, better client experience, and better, you know, client and patient outcomes. Yeah. And you were on the stage earlier today. Is that basically what you were talking about? It's exactly what I was talking about today. Um, <laughs> talking about modernization, yeah. you know, in aged care and and digital transformation and what are some of the challenges that organisations are facing? You know, why is it such a challenge, and particularly in the aged care sector? So some of the trends that we see, you know, that are holding uh, those organisations back from, you know, really realising their digital ambition and, and being more a digital-led uh, organisation. And much of that really comes back to the legacy and, and legacy technical debt that they have in their organisations. The, the core care management systems that they're using are just islands, you know, within their organisation. And it really starts with that. I mean, uh, digital transformation and modernization, it's not a destination, it's a journey. You know, and it starts with incremental steps. And, and for us, plugging these data sources together, these applications, these <clears throat> data lakes, data warehouses, people, business processes, bringing them all together, you know, in a pervasively connected way is, you know, is where they really need to start out in, in kind of application modernization. Love that term, pervasively connected. That's that's aggressively that's better than aggressively connected. I think that's we a, trademark that one. <laughs> you, can, you can have it. That's good. You weren't you weren't it. But there, I'm thinking that you know, I mean, that all technically makes sense in terms of connecting all the disparate bits of information. But we we all talk about it, and it's 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 rarer to see it being actually done. So I'm guessing that you're seeing this being done with your clients on a day-to-day. -day. How, how do you take that step from being conceptually a good idea to taking those practical steps along that journey, as you say? Yeah, and look, it really starts with stakeholder engagement um, within the organisation and, you know, a willingness, I guess, to make those investments, to bring together disparate teams right across, you know, not only the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the clinical space, um, but bringing the, the different business units together, you know, all to achieve, uh, you know, this outcome of modernization and digital transformation. Um, so typically it starts at the top, um, you know, with a, uh, with a, with a remit and a, and a C-suite and a board that want to modernize and see the value and benefit in modernizing their operations. Um, and then, you know, that feeds through pervasively through, through the organization. And you've got to build that, that interest, I suppose, and uh, really take those stakeholders along on the journey along the way. Get those runs on the board as well and see that things that's are possible. Right. Yeah. That's right. And, and sometimes that's that's what it takes, you yeah. know, is to get those small wins. Yep. You know, grab the low-hanging fruit, you mm. know, demonstrate the value. And once that value has been demonstrated, I see it all the time. Organisations come back and go, oh, we've got another idea. We've got another project. We've got another initiative. Can we do this? Can we do that? And you see the, the, the genuine sense of excitement in organisations when they can start to leverage and make maximum use of these types of technology investments. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. 
We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits, and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. Tim Humphreys from Homestyle Aged Care. Love it, Tim. What brings you to this event today? I was actually asked to speak at the event, so that's probably why I came. <laughs> well, what, what, do you, what did you talk about? I haven't spoken yet, but yeah, I'm just going to talk largely about IT and how we're trying to use technology to help make life more efficient and provide better care. Got it, got it. D- tell me more about it. But that, is that what you're doing on a day-to-day now? Uh, yeah, it is. And look, to be honest, we were late to market and technology, which is actually a bit of an advantage for us because we got to choose mature products. So we've now got a whole bunch of stuff implemented that we've put in place throughout COVID which is pretty cool. So we implemented electronic care planning in the middle of a pandemic. Not many people can say they've done that. Yeah. And yet a bunch of other stuff, which is now helping us. But I reckon the, the one thing that was the coolest thing um, in Melbourne, which is where I'm from, we had a whole lot of restrictions and we had a whole bunch of things we had to do before anyone entered a home. And we had a really wonderful person who worked at reception really struggling. And she basically rang one day in tears and said, I can't do my job. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, I have to ask all of these questions and I have to take temperature which means I can't help people come in and get the care they need. I said, okay. So we found a tool, and it's called Zipline, but basically it takes someone's temperature and asks all the questions. It meant that she didn't have to do that job anymore. And we replicated that in all of our 11 homes. And yeah, she kind of rang later and said, thanks. That fixed the problem, which is, which is kind of really what it's all about. If you, I think a lot of people look to technology first and then reverse engineer it to try and solve a problem that might not even exist. Whereas this was a great example of there was a real problem and someone was stressed to the point of breaking and this technology fixed it, yeah. which is cool. It's really simple. Love it. Great example. And I, I'm getting the vibe from speaking to a lot of people here, particularly those that are, you know, on the ground running running facilities, running homes, that the, the, one of the biggest challenges... They're staffed. They're <laughs> staffed. It's, it's people um, yeah. and, and the role that technology can play to yeah. lift the burden on some of that. Is, that. is that what you're feeling as well? I think it's, it's that, but it's also at the moment we, we can't get enough people. And that is going to continue. So we not only need technology to help us now, but technology is going to have to keep getting better, I think, because as we struggle to attract people to the sector. So, yeah, we're going to, it's not going to replace people, but it's going to have to help us become more efficient so we can do more with less. Yeah. And in some facilities I've spoken to, they've utilised technology to get them through the pandemic and then things have almost gone back to status quo, like back in the old days prior that maybe scaled back some solutions. Other places have, you know, really used it as an opportunity to then build on that to continue to, to do things. Where, whereabouts are you on that spectrum? Well, as I said, we, we were kind of a, we employed an IT guy 2019 and I told him we pretty much had a greenfield, which we did. So we, we fortunately put in Wi-Fi across all of our sites to the tune of about a million bucks. So across 10 homes at that stage, just to put Wi-Fi in to enable internet connectivity, million bucks. Um, And jeepers, we were lucky we did it because then (laughs) COVID hit and guess what? People could talk to each other face to face. So that was kind of, let's say dumb luck, but jeepers, we were lucky we had that tech. So I think that's the the thing, the benefits that we've seen are because we didn't have it and through good fortune and lucky timing, we got real benefits from some of those really simple things. And that's... You know, it's a bit like the, the, the screening tool. Wi-Fi enabled us to keep that connection with families as we locked down for, I don't know what the number is, it was about a year, I a think. A long time. Yeah, 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 it was an awfully long time. So yeah. that was that was really cool. So that stuff's still in place. And, you know, from time to time, we, we're still having rolling outbreaks. So we're continuing to use that. And we'll continue to have, you know, whether it's gastro or influenza, there'll still be times when, you know, we probably want to discourage people from coming in. But it enables us to then connect with families that aren't close by as well. So it's a it's a really simple, good tool that's helped us probably keep families connected a little better.
My name's Alwyn Blaze. I'm a physiotherapist and lucky enough to be CEO of another company that uh, has physiotherapists and OTs called Allard Age Care. And we're now AOC Health Group, including Allard Age Care. So we work in regional Queensland. Um, and yeah, we're good at finding physios and OTs where others can't. Yeah, okay, and fantastic. fear to tread. Yeah, and fear to tread. <laughs> and what brings you to this fine event today? Well, I was invited to be a speaker, which I was very grateful for. There's a lot of um, very knowledgeable people here in the aged care space, and I'm yep. learning a lot. Yeah. And before we get into what you're talking about, but, you know, the being a physio in the aged care space, obviously important allied health provider in that whole care spectrum for, for the aged, is that right? Yeah, well, we predominantly, we have been working in nursing homes, residential aged mm-hmm. care, and we also have been doing more and more in the community space because we've always looked at ourselves as a company that does physio and allied health in a regional area, we just happen to work in nursing homes a lot. So we look after kids and people with disabilities and all ages, work injuries, etc. But uh, yeah, we're probably more well known for our work in aged care. And I've been an aged care physio for about 23 years and used to joke I'll be doing it till I'm the one in the chair needing the treatment. Yeah, okay, so there you go. I mean, nothing seems to have changed there, no matter yeah. what governments do with funding and things. Yeah. Interesting. And and so what are you doing on, on stage today? Oh, look, you know, I just said to you before, um, I'm... <laughs> quite grateful I couldn't actually believe they let me have this topic which was uh, don't sack your physio just yet you might still need them after the ANACC comes in uh, on the 1st of October so it's um, there's a lot of premature getting rid of allied health minutes and hours going on in nursing homes Is at the it? moment and I think they might be not thinking this one through too much. So, yeah, so, so, so for people who don't who might not have the full context so what's the give me the landscape what's what's going on? Oh, look, if, I want to, if anyone wants to go to sleep tonight, I could tell you about all the funding changes, but I won't do that. Yeah. I'll just say, make it really simple, because a lot of people don't even understand what allied health is. But if you understand physios, for mum and dad um, in a nursing home, in the past, there was funding from the government to have treatment for pain. And that's what paid us to be there. It often surprised people to know that we weren't paid to do exercise, for example. In the current system, yes, you sound like you're not sure of that one either. No, no. Uh, no it's not common knowledge as every cab driver and everyone else I speak to is like, really? Why wouldn't physios be doing falls prevention? Well, a lot of us do. We're just not funded to do it. So if it's a nice home, nice, you know, we're allowed to do it, we, of course we'll try our best, but the reality is we're only funded to do massage at the moment, which is about as bad as it says. And that did need to change. We've been calling for that for a lot of years, and it is changing. Um, unfortunately, they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, and they haven't had any funding for physiotherapy as of the 1st of October. That's the dot point. Is mum, mum, If you want mum and dad to have some physio after the 1st of October, if you can find a physio who's willing to come, um, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, right, OK. Yeah. So it's going to put the challenge on the, on the facilities that might be, like you say, lo- looking to have those on site that are now working out what to do. Yeah, pretty much. Um, as I said, I don't think it's... It's just been the great unanswered. We've known about this for about a year and a half and I led a public campaign called Stop the Death of Allied Health um, for over a year. We got 20,000 members of the public signing a Senate petition, which we lodged on 29th of March to get a bit of public awareness. We had Tracy Spicer, Danny Green and um, David Campisi actually all came on because they've all got parents in aged care. And they, caught, they said how vital physio and allied health is in aged care. It's not under debate. It's just no one wants to pay for it. Yeah, okay. And any final thoughts or kind of next steps, how people can can become more aware of what's going on? Yeah, well, we've got a website, um, alladagecare.com.au slash D-O-A-C, which is Death of Aged Care, it stands for. So our old website was deathofagecare.com.au and we just transferred it over to that one. So if it, don't take my word for it. Um, have a read of all the statements and everything we've gathered on there. And um, if you're concerned about it, um, if you think mum and dad do need physio and allied health, um, we certainly have a new government in at the moment. Um, I was grateful for Anika Wells, who was just virtually opening today, um, saying that they're after solutions, and me too. Um, I think it's important allied health also recognise that we need to change our game and deliver differently. We've always wanted to do more than massage. We've always wanted to do false prevention and best evidence-based care. And this is this is an opportunity to do that. I just don't think it's fair for people who are on pensions. And my mum-in-law is a good example who can't afford to pay for what they need. There's got to be a safety net, and at the moment there's not. My name is Gaina Skulichotti. I'm from Southern Cross Care. I'm the Chief Operations Officer. Amazing. What brings you to this event today? We're doing a lot of work with technology at the moment. 60% of our sites are actually regional which makes it really difficult to get staff in for one, but also specialist consults such as wound management, diversional therapy, physiotherapists. So we're reliant heavily now 
on technologies to be able to bring those support services to the residents so we can provide the same standards of care as what we do in our Sydney metro sites. Got you. And so that, that technology that's used to bring that level of care, is that telehealth services? Yeah, that's one, one aspect of it. We're looking at, there's a hippo headset, which means that the user can actually wear the headset and have the, the listener have their view, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, actually on their computer screen. So, you know, a couple of examples the RN on the floor can wear the headset if she's looking at a difficult wound she can ring one of our wound care consultants and they can then give on the spot wound consultation and then teach also teach the RN as they're looking at the wound as to the um, you know the key key factors of wound healing another application if we've got a resident who's experiencing behaviors of concern if we can't get dementia trailer out there or we can't get our diversional therapist out there who specialise in mental health and behaviour support then again the RN can wear the headset and we can actually watch the resident exhibit those behaviours and then give live strategies to help support that resident. And so I expect no doubt for every facility around Australia and the world then having the technology to do this was really important during COVID but as you say many of your locations are in rural and remote areas so this will be important over a longer period of time for you as well. Yeah certainly in COVID it was definitely worse in COVID because even our Sydney sites unless they were considered an essential visitor we were really limited as to who could come in the nursing home and it's always that risk that every person who walks through the door there is going to be a COVID risk regardless if they're wearing N95 and face shields so yeah this type of technology was definitely um, it's come into its own COVID opened that door for us and now we can just build on the use of those technologies. And I'd love to know how it's been received you know in terms of the feedback from whether it's the carers and the staff, but also the residents as well. How do they find it all? It gives the residents a sense of relief and certainly their representatives and family members because if you're regional sites, you know, you, you do feel as if your loved one deserves the same level of support and absolutely, yes, they do. We are held to the same standards, whether it be rural or whether it be a metro site, which is absolutely correct, we, we need to be. There's also got to be a reality there of how we do that. So the residents and the family members are very welcome to the remote services that we can provide because at the end of the day, it does empower the staff there and it also brings in the much-needed skills. Yeah, interesting. And so you are on stage today or you will be talking to? Yes, I've been on stage. I've done a presentation this morning about the emerging technologies that we're currently using in Southern Cross and then I'm chairing the day as well for technology. And so is there any final thoughts or recommendations for others that might be looking to implement some technologies in a setting that they might think otherwise might be difficult to do? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest learning for me, I don't like technology at all. I, it just, I've got no interest in it. Learning to love it, I, I, I hear. I'm learning to embrace it because yes. I need to. Yes. So I think the one thing that I would say is get to know your IT team. They are not as boring as what you may think. <laughs> Some of them have actually got a sense of humour. So talk to them, get them on side, because it, it's like trying to bake a cake without an oven. You know, you need the support of the IT guys. And it, some of them are actually quite fun. Surprising. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, get that relationship going between ops and IT, because... On your own, you don't have it all, but together, you can actually make some amazing things happen. My name is Alistair Winner, and I work for Mossray Group. Alistair, what, what brings you to this event today? We're partners with Schneider Electric, who are one of the sponsors of the event, and uh, we've helped them to develop a new service model for their um, critical power which is very interesting and attractive to healthcare and aged care. Critical power, so talking about the electricity and the thing that powers everything right across the the facility. uh, Exactly, and uh, the theme of the event has very much been around digitalisation and putting technology in front of uh, employees and residents and consumers, which is great, but of course they all rely on power and uh, we know you know based on uh, some of the challenges in Australia at the moment around the provision of utility power that it's pretty unreliable and probably going to be more and more unreliable 
uh, in the in the future. So, you know, there's this dichotomy. We've got more and more digital devices emerging and less reliable power. So uh, the solution that, that that we've built really helps to bridge that. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when, that's probably the last thing I think about when you think about all the different technology and everything. You just assume that the electricity will work. That's right. Um, so what, what's so there's an extra solution above and beyond just having you know, paying Energy Australia, whatever it is, or the you know, electricity provider to, to keep the lights on? How does it, how does it work? What do you think? Yeah, so there's, a, there's a, a technologies, there's an uninterruptible power supply, which is a, an inverter with a battery pack that basically smooths out the, mm. the power that's provided from the utility, which can be pretty dirty and troublesome. And if the, if the utility power drops, it will continue to support the digital assets on the um, you know that are connected and uh, you know it'll, it could last anywhere between five minutes and five hours depending on the size of the battery and then and then some customers will have a generator an on-site generator that will that will take over so i mean that technology has been around for a long time the challenge for uh, customers is it's it's quite a unique technology typically it you know technical teams will be responsible for it but they don't really understand it it's it's power it's not it so they, they lack the expertise. They'll, uh, you know, they'll make an acquisition and they'll sort of set and forget it. But it needs looking after. You know, it's, it's battery technology, so it's susceptible to temperature and humidity and age and cycles. And um, because it's not a priority, it's not front of mind for them, they forget about it. And then it becomes a problem when the power goes out because it doesn't work. When you it's, know? Yeah, when it's a priority so, when you need yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. the service that we've developed is... Um, it's a consumption-based model. It's a bit like um, you know, private cloud or software as a service. So the, the, so the customer just specifies the outcome they want, which is typically you know, based on the load that they have, you know, the, the amount of energy that they're consuming, and how long they want the electrical assets to operate for. And then Schneider will build a solution. They'll deploy it. They, they own the asset, so the customer doesn't have to make a capital investment. It's, it's true pay-as-you-go. And they can basically take their hands off the wheels. Schneider is fully accountable which means it's one less thing for them to worry about, one less distraction. And we talk about, um, we call it core and not core activities. I mean, for, for aged care, it's been, I mean, I'm not an expert at all, but having listened to the uh, discussions, it's very understandably, I guess, customer-centric. All of the energy and effort is going into, you know, how can we make the lives of the um, aged care community better and actually the employees who are taking care of them because it's uh, you know, clearly a very challenging uh, area to work in. So all of the effort of IT and the technology has to be focused at the at the front end, not at the back end. And uh, so it's one less thing for them to worry about, which uh, I think is very attractive. And there's no capital investment you pay as you use it. So it's uh, it's good. And so you, you were up on stage as well. Is that where you were just raising more awareness around, you know, the some of the technologies and the, and the solutions that you've got? Yeah, it's, 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 we're really trying to raise awareness because it's very often the forgotten thing. And actually, when I was presenting, you, know, you could see you know, people nodding and they're sort of thinking, OK, yeah, I'm spending all of my time focused on you know, developing and deploying this new technology. But OK, I understand if the, if the power goes out you know, and you're relying on something you know, to, you know, to treat a consumer or a resident, it becomes a real problem very quickly. And, you know, power outages are indiscriminate you know they're not they're not selective in terms of the services they uh they keep on if there's an aged care facility in an area that's going to be turned off for a period of time that's um that's what's going to happen it's, yeah, so it's, yeah yeah it's uh and, and yeah we, we we've sort of followed the trend there's been you know many examples of you know extreme weather induced power outages you know failures of power stations and uh, you know, there's a there's a big shift in Australia towards renewable energy, which is you know, completely understandable and the right thing to do. But it's going to take a very long time for that transition to to occur. And over that transition period, it's going to introduce more instability to the to the network, yeah. or to the grid, than, than more. So we, the message that we were conveying today is: you just have to be prepared to operate your facility off the grid. You know, and it could be for one minute, but even a minute of outage when you're in a, you know, an IT-enabled environment can, can cause hours of downtime as things reboot, resynchronize. And um, the longer the power's out, the more problems it can create. I mean, things like refrigeration. We were talking to one customer who actually said washing machines was critical to them. You know, so to be able to you know, keep, you know, keep um, I, I guess, you know, towels and things clean for the residents is, uh, is hugely important, and they just hadn't considered it. Yeah. You know? 
My name is Danielle Ballantyne and the organisation I lead is Your Side Australia. And what brings you to this event, Danielle? Fortunately invited as a speaker on a couple of panels, but more importantly, really interested to actually all of us to be back together face to face, which is a nice experience. And particularly after quite an intense period of time, just to kind of exchange war stories and learnings and mm. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so a couple of panels you're participating in. Tell me a bit more. Like, What are some of the, the topics and themes that were talked about? So probably the focus that I had um, on the, the panels that I participated in was around compliance and sort of, I suppose, scope creep as a result of the compliance and how it's uh, sort of taking over a lot of people's roles and another key theme that's coming out is around workforce and those two things are actually interrelated because you know we we have a workforce who's experiencing that scope creep around compliance and feel that it's actually taking away from care and when I'm talking about compliance I'm talking about the administration yeah. element of quality and feel that it's, that's taking away from the time that they're actually delivering the care. That's a conversation that we've had here already and something that's been a bit of a consistent theme that compliance is a really important factor in ensuring quality care and one would think would continue to get a lot of attention but the more and more that's required from care workers to be able to report on their on compliance or to, to feed the beast so to speak it then actually pulls away from delivering quality care which is what it's all about in the first place right is that yeah absolutely I mean people we've got a tension or a polarity at play I think in aged care where you've got the commitment I mean I I deliver in-home care I'm not in residential care but you've got commitment from government around more hours of care so you know 215 minutes a day of care per resident and then the flip side of that is that you've got to demonstrate compliance with the standards and provide evidence and the deduction that people tend to make around compliance is it is administration it's case notes and checklists and check boxes and things like that. And so what's the future? Is there a way out of this ever spiralling kind of position of more compliance to and that tension with, with care? I don't think we can say there's one over the other. I think we have to work in concert together and find a way. I would actually like government and the sector to be talking and designing actually what good quality care looks like and what the outcomes of that. So move away from compliance as a word and start talking outcomes. And if we can start to define what is actually a good outcome in terms of delivery of care and aged care and start measuring against that, um, I think that that is a, a much more constructive approach, a much more positive approach as well. Um, and great for our workers because then, you know, they connect to this industry because there's a purpose attached to it and it feels good to do it. Um, and so when you're getting outcomes, you're more likely to be engaged and motivated as well. Yeah. You mentioned as well that you're particularly in the home care side of things, not the residential side. Home care, it's a, um, a topic that people say more and more aged care should be delivered in home. Are you finding that's the, the sentiment generally? Yeah, um, and that's coming from a number of different angles. People want to stay at home, quite simply, um, for a number of reasons. You know, it's the, the home and the environment and the community that they know and are familiar with and may have raised a family there or they've got very strong ties within the community. And, you know, another... and. We, it's it's our it's our place. It's where identity sits and things like that. Another element is that you know it is expensive, much more expensive per resident. Residential care is so it is actually cheaper for government, as as well. But there's also evidence that suggests that people who age in place or age at home actually live longer. Um, so it is actually better for our health and well-being as well as a community. And I think it's also from from a community perspective, you know we should we we should have a diverse community we should have an intergenerational community we see young people we see teenagers we see older people we see families and things like that that makes us better are there any barriers that are stopping more people living longer at home is it a technology challenge is it a staffing challenge is it a bit of everything I mean right now just talking like you know in today's world in particular it's it's the workforce challenge it's not just the shortage of workers it's also the capability of workers when we talk about people who go you know going into an, an individual's home is an incredibly personal and intimate experience you are often working unsupervised so the level of skill, capability, our judgment you exercise in that moment without having the immediate, can I turn around and see a supervisor or a colleague and chat through this is really critical. So it's in 
it's finding a mature, and I don't mean mature in age, I mean mature in experience and wise workforce to go and deliver in the home is probably our biggest challenge right now. And if there are any technology vendors or creators of technology that are looking to uh, implement solutions that might support uh, more home care services, are there particular areas or advice you can provide to those? Like, what do you need from technology in the home care side? I always, I mean, one of the things that I always think of is, I mean, regardless of your age and whether you're in a care system or not, there is already a lot of robotics playing out in our homes in terms of smart devices, Google Home, robot vacuum cleaners, those sorts of things. I think in home care, we, we actually could be deploying those resources to people. So, you know, Google technology or smart technology and things like that, obviously secure a home, they light a home, they turn things on, they monitor, they give data. Like there's, we should be stepping into that. And that frees up the workforce to perhaps to do the more personal care, which is, you know, helping somebody out of bed, helping someone shower or change and, and leave those other things to the, to the technology. But I always, I've always concluded the most basic thing. I, I have a robot vacuum cleaner. We send people in to do cleaning and then they're amazing. Uh, and I have a cat, so we need one. And, but, you know, we send people in to do cleaning, to do the heavy cleaning, such as vacuum floors and things like that. I'm like, there's already technology that does that. I'd love to be able to free up my worker to do other stuff, real value add and let the let that robot take over. And a lot of the times it can be monitored remotely as well. You don't need to be physically in the same room to be able to activate it. That, that's exactly right. And and not and when you say monitor, not necessarily through the use of cameras because that's a fear that people often have is that their yeah. privacy has been, you know, there's a camera in my home. No, it's not about cameras. It's about using data and information differently where you have no access to view in a person's home but you can see what's going on. George Margellis, Chair ACIATC, Aged Care Industry Information Technology Council. It would not be an aged care event, George Margellis, without having you here. So thank you for uh, for dropping by the desk. How are you? Very well, thanks. Enjoying it as always. It's uh, good to see people in in person. But it's uh, I, I do regret having put the shoes on again. So it's uh... <laughs> it's the little things. It's, it's the little things. Yeah. It's the sacrifices you make for these types of things. But you're here not just showing off your shoes. You're also participating on the stage as well. Is that right? I am. I'm, I've got a presentation on the uh, response to the Royal Commission. How technology can answer the, the recommendations of the Royal Commission. Big question to ask. I assume not an easy one to answer. Look, not an easy one. There are some very specific recommendations in the Royal Commission that are based around technology. 68 being the big one. We're talking about implementation of a digital care system. But of course, the nuances are in the uh, complexity of that. So using my experience from the acute care sector, it's not just a matter of buying a system, plugging it in, away it goes. It's a whole change management perspective, but also a training perspective and and a cultural change that data is king. So beforehand, data was something that we just did as part of our job now, data becomes a key part of the organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting the vibe from speaking to a lot of different people here today, whether it's here or over and listening to the sessions, that that point that you raised before around supporting people, a lot of the time about the work that people were working with and it's just in the carers, and, and that's a, a really big role of technology. And is that one of the key things that came out of the Royal Commission as well? Look, the, yeah, the Royal Commission highlighted the fact that obviously there were some challenges in aged care, but it ultimately comes down to that the workforce was not trained enough, reimbursed enough, enabled enough to deliver the care that they wanted to deliver. So how we do you use technology to relieve them of some of the burden of administration, freeing them up to deliver the care? Because most of the people who join in, into aged care do it because they want to provide care. They don't want to fill in forms. They don't want to manage spreadsheets. They don't want to manage d- databases. So you know, we need to use the technology to do what it does really well freeing up those human resources to do what they do really well. Yeah. Give me some spoiler alerts. You know, how do we go from talking about how technology has the potential to alleviate some of this pain? How do we go about actually implementing some of these things and getting some runs on the board to demonstrate that it's actually... So the first thing is is getting the actual providers actively involved in co-design. So developing solutions that are relevant to them, not just delivering them with technology solutions that are you know, don't provide them value. So I think that's one of the key things developing an active research community so that we actually have evidence, not just anecdotes about the, the effectiveness. And then the third thing is, is then enabling that workforce to have a career path where they can utilise the technology to both improve their delivery of care, but also deliver their own, their own careers within the organisations. Mm-hmm. 
So we know we now see CIOs, but we don't have the equivalent of CMIOs and CNIOs in aged care. We need we do need no clinical providers with, with technology background to play a much more active role in middle and senior level management. Yeah. And lastly, then, is um, there's a lot of recommendations and findings within the Royal Commission. No doubt technology isn't the only factor here. Are there any other key things that come to mind that people here attending this event might be thinking about when it comes to the Royal Commission? Look, I think one thing the Royal Commission didn't pick up on is the need to appreciate the value the workforce brings into this space. I mean, you know, this is onerous hard work, which long hours, and, and you know, the Royal Commission picked flaws, didn't necessarily pick values. And, and I think to a large degree, the workforce is disillusioned by the fact that, you know, the 1% who do things badly get all, got the highlight and the 99% who do things well have been ignored. So I think we need to uh, reward those who do it well. And that's one of the things we always do at our ITAC awards is award people who do stuff innovatively and do it well. The same goes with the workforce. You need to reward the workforce who does the job well. I think that's one thing missing. You here, so thank you for, uh, for dropping by the desk. How are you? Very well, thanks. We're enjoying it as always. It's uh, good to see people in, in person, but it's, uh, I, I do regret having put the shoes on again. So It's, uh, <laughs> it's the little things. It's, it's the little things, yeah. It's the sacrifices you make for these types of things. But you're here not just showing off your shoes, you're also participating on the stage as well, is that right? I am. I'm, I've got a presentation on the uh, response to the Royal Commission, how technology can answer the, the recommendations of the Royal Commission. Big question to ask, I assume not an easy one to answer? Look, not an easy one. There are some very specific recommendations in the Royal Commission that are based around technology, 68 being the big one. We're talking about the implementation of a digital care system. But, of course, the nuances are in the complexity of that. So using my experience from the acute care sector, it's not just a matter of buying a system, plugging it in, and away it goes. It's a whole change management perspective, but also a training perspective and and a cultural change that data is king. So beforehand, data was something that we just did as part of our job, now data becomes a key part of the organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting the vibe from speaking to a lot of different people here today, whether it's here or over and listening to the sessions, that that point that you raised before around supporting people, a lot of the time about the work that people were working with and it's just in the carers, and, and that's a, a really big role of technology. And is that one of the key things that came out of the Royal Commission as well? Look, the, yeah, the Royal Commission highlighted the fact that obviously there were some challenges in aged care, but it ultimately comes down to that the workforce was not trained enough, reimbursed enough, enabled enough to deliver the care that they wanted to deliver. So how we do you use technology to relieve them of some of the burden of administration, freeing them up to deliver the care? Because most of the people who join in, into aged care do it because they want to provide care. They don't want to fill in forms. They don't want to manage spreadsheets. They don't want to manage da- databases. So you know, we need to use the technology to do what it does really well freeing up those human resources to do what they do really well. Yeah. Give me some spoiler alerts. You know, how do we go from talking about how technology has the potential to alleviate some of this pain? How do we go about actually implementing some of these things and getting some runs on the board to demonstrate that it's actually... So the first thing is is getting the actual providers actively involved in co-design. So developing solutions that are relevant to them, not just delivering them with technology solutions that are you know, don't provide them value. So I think that's one of the key things developing an active research community so that we actually have evidence, not just anecdotes about the, the effectiveness. And then the third thing is, is then enabling that workforce to have a career path where they can utilise the technology to both improve their delivery of care, but also deliver their own, their own careers within the organisations. So we, know we now see CIOs, but we don't have the equivalent of CMIOs and CNIOs in aged care. We, need, we do need no clinical providers with technology background to play a much more active role in middle and senior level management. Yeah. And lastly, then, is um, there's a lot of recommendations and findings within the Royal Commission. No doubt technology isn't the only factor here. Are there any other key things that come to mind that people here attending this event might be thinking about when it comes to the Royal Commission? Look, I think one thing the Royal Commission didn't pick up on is the need to appreciate the value the workforce brings into this space. I mean, you know, this is onerous hard work which long hours and and you know the Royal Commission picked flaws didn't necessarily pick values and, and I think to a large degree the workforce is disillusioned by the fact that you know the 1% who do things badly get all, got the highlight and the 99% who do things well have been ignored so I think we need to uh, reward those who do it well and that's one of the things we always do at our ITAC awards is award people who do stuff innovatively and do it well. The same goes with the workforce. You need to reward the workforce who does the job well. I think that's one thing missing.
Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.